Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 33. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and he himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that a reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be. Now you said thanks be to God, right? Oh boy. We're really going to talk about this? This is, this is great. Uh, believe me, nobody uh, wants to run uh, faster than I do in this moment, right? But this is, this is what happens when you preach through books of the Bible. So if you're new here, this isn't like our favorite text. We didn't just, you know, preach this one every time. We're going through Ephesians, which sometimes when you go through books of the Bible, you come face to face with things that we just frankly do not want to hear, Right? happens. And we can't skip over them just because they make us uncomfortable. You wouldn't respect us if we did. And so we've got to do it. But before we get into it, we've got to acknowledge a few things, right? Because some of us have, have heard this text misused in order to mistreat women. And that is not okay. And that's been, if that's been your experience, I'm really sorry. Or others, others of you hear this, but you're in a really disappointing marriage or maybe, a, maybe just an awful marriage. Maybe you've been abused, betrayed, Maybe, maybe you felt the, the wound of divorce, or maybe you've been the cause of those problems for somebody else. And so you hear this text, and you think, where, where is there good news for me in this today? Or, or maybe others of you are, are grieving the death of a spouse. Or maybe you're grieving a spouse that never was, and you're frustrated in your singleness. Maybe you're glad you're single. That's okay too, right? But you're thinking like, what does this have to do with me? Or maybe you, you see your, your parents, you know the brokenness in their marriage. And you think, where is there good news for me today? So we, we come to this with all kinds of personal baggage. And then we add the, the cultural situation in which we live, right? Our culture also hurts us in this area because our culture sadly still sometimes celebrates toxic masculinity. And if you are a husband, God says your job is to die every day on behalf of your wife. So how is, that, how is that good news for men? We also live in a culture that see, sees little to no distinction between male and female. 
And God says, if you're a wife, you are to submit to your husband. How is that good news for women? So here's what tends to happen, I think. Uh, Before we even try to understand this passage, we're like, nah, I'm good, right? We just just throw it out. Like, I don't even want to understand what this says because we bring so much to it, our cultural baggage, our personal baggage, all of it comes here. But before we reject it, we have to at least try to understand it. But understanding it takes work. We have to ask questions like, what was marriage like in the first century, and how does that relate to to us today? We also have to ask personal questions like, are we willing to let God tell us things we don't want to hear? Because if if not, then, like, you're God, not God, right? Can God confront us? We also have to ask big questions like, what is marriage actually for? Is Is it about me and my rights, my desires, my preferences? Or is it about something more? Well, we'll go through all of that today. But if you take just one thing with you, I want to give us this to start so we kind of know our path today. I hope it's this. If you take just one thing, according to Scripture, marriage is not about you. And that is good news. Marriage is not about you. And that is good news. But church, before we go any further, we need, we need to pray, don't we? We need God's help. And I, I want you to pray. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and then I'm going to give you three prompts. And I'll pause after each one to lead us in a time of guided prayer. And so first, first, take a moment to silently pray for yourself. Married or single, male or female, young, old, happily married or unhappily. Pray that you would be receptive to whatever God has for you in his word. Now take a moment to pray for the people sitting around you, a spouse, a friend, a child, a stranger, that they would receive what they need from God. And then finally, please pray for me, that God would help me accurately explain his word with grace and tenderness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, my senior year of high school, I had one of the lead roles in our school play. Uh, I was Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I don't like to brag people, but it was kind of a big deal, okay? So Aslan, if you don't, if you don't know the story, uh, Aslan is a magical talking lion. And in case you have forgotten, this is what a lion looks like. (laughs) Got to keep that fresh for the story. It's important, okay? Uh, That's what a lion looks like. And in this story, right, this lion is meant to represent Jesus. So again, it's kind of a big deal, right? You want all the the beauty and majesty and power and awe and like like a lion, right? You got to look the part for this thing, right, people? Well, here here I am. I mean, I knew I'd get a laugh, but good grief, people. <laughs> Control yourselves, okay? I mean, I can't believe I didn't get booed off the stage, right? It's appalling. 
And, and they, even, they even made me roar. Like me, a normal human boy, I had to roar. Like, roar, you know? I mean, I can do better than that, but I don't want to frighten the children. Like, in order to still instill, like, awe in the audience, right? I was meant to inspire people. He's not safe, but he's good, right? Him? No. I was meant to help people enter a magical world in which for two hours they were supposed to forget, right, and believe that I was a talking lion. What a joke. Because how could anyone look at this and see that, this next picture? Yeah. It's pretty depressing, right? And yet, and now hear me out, hear me out. This is what marriage is meant to do. Marriage is meant to be a kind of play. It is meant to tell a story. That's actually why God invented it. That's essentially what Paul is getting at here in this passage. It's why it exists. It's not, it's not about the actors on the stage. It's not about what we hope to get out of by being in the play. It's about the author and director's vision to tell a story. And that story is not about you. Marriage is meant to tell the story of the romance between God and his people. That every, every marriage, whether you acknowledge this or not, every marriage is meant to reenact the love that Jesus has for his church and the way his bride responds back to him. And so if, if you're married, your marriage is not about you. Your rights, preferences, desires, stop pretending that it is. It's not about you, right? Marriage is about Jesus and his bride. And we are meant to tell and retell that story. And that, people, that is good news. Okay, trust me, we'll get there. But that is good news. But let's, let's be honest, though. I mean, if we're completely honest, most of our marriages look more like this, right? Yeah. But when, there's, when they're meant to look and tell the story of that, right? It's not great. Like, we're deeply inadequate on this stage. It's awful sometimes. Some of us could use some acting lessons. And yet, we be, when we begin to actually live this out, we can actually get better on this stage. We can actually have healthier marriages and demonstrate to a watching world a play for all to see that this is how God loves us and this is how we respond to him. And if you're married, don't you want your marriage to tell that story? For the people around you, for your kids, if you have children, right? Isn't that, is that what you want it to, to tell, right? And if, even if you're not married, maybe you're asking, like, what, is, what does this have to do with me? But isn't that what you want from your family and friends, those, those around you? Don't you want to see this story re, reenacted day in and day out, a reminder of the way God loves? I think we all do. And Paul gives us a few hints on how. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5 if you haven't already. And so if you, if you want to understand this passage, and you, if you want to understand what marriage is actually for, we have to understand the, God, the story that God is trying to tell. And that's, that's where Paul builds to at the very end of this. So I actually want to start there in verse, verse 31, because that gives us the, the reason for his commands, the reason for why he's saying these things. Look at verse 31. This is what it builds to. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother... And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ 
and the church. Don't, don't miss that. Like, it's a little tag at the end, but everything Paul is building to is that statement that marriage is ultimately the story of Christ and his church. And so when we look at Ephesians 5, we have to go into it with that lens. And there are three things that are essential that Paul draws out for us that are essential to this story and for us to tell it. The story is subversive. The story is sacrificial. And the story is good news. So first, the story is subversive. Subversive, meaning countercultural, like unthinkable, crazy even. Like no one in their right mind would want to, to do this, right? That kind of, it's subversive. Then and now. We have to realize that. Then and now. Now certainly, okay, don't miss this, God expects husbands and wives to submit to one another. Okay? Like, he said that first. That's why we went back a few verses. In verse 21, Paul said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And husbands and wives are both expected to love one another, to respect one another, to sacrifice for each other, of course, okay? So keep that in the back of your mind. We all submit, we all sacrifice, we all love, we all um, respect, right? That's, that's just part of what it means to be a Christian, right? Just part of human relationships as followers of Jesus. So don't, don't get hung up on that. And yet, Paul doesn't say that we're all the same either, right? That, that, that husbands and wives or males and females are just sort of interchangeable or irrelevant, which raises some pretty big questions, especially in our culture, doesn't it? We don't have time to go into all of the questions, right? But a couple of them, right? What about gender identity, for example? Well, this is, this is why we have Dr. Julia Sadusky coming to join us. Like, we, we time this up together because we know we're raising questions about, about gender. She's going to be with us Monday, November 7th, so a week from tomorrow at our Leewood campus. Sign up for this event because we all need to learn more, right? All of us, your pastors, leaders, every one of us, like, we need to learn. Gender matters biblically. Okay, we're committed to that from the scriptures. It matters. And yet, how do we navigate this with wisdom and with love as people in, in our community, right? How do we do that? That's an important question. Maybe, maybe then also you're asking, well, what about, uh, what about how we live this out within our church family? And the fact that we have women who are pastors, but we only have men who are elders. Like, how did we, how did we come to that conclusion? Well, through scripture, um, and this is, this is why we've uh, rewritten our paper as a church. It's the same sort of theological uh, position that we've had as a church, but we've rewritten this, refreshed it. Hopefully you've, you found it on our website. You can find it there. It's, it's important, right? These are important questions, implications out of this text that we just don't have time to go into with much detail here. But again, we're all supposed to submit, sacrifice, love, respect. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian. But why does Paul specifically tell wives to submit and respect and husbands to love and sacrifice? Well, ultimately, it's because it's how he wants us to tell the story. That's, that's why it's so important to begin at the end, right? That, that marriage is not about you. It's about the story that God is telling. It's about the, the responsibilities the actors have on this stage to play it out. And it is subversive. Okay, so what Paul says here, believe it or not, and it's really hard for us to believe, but what Paul says here is actually incredibly subversive in the first century. 
And so as Paul writes, he knows what he's doing. He's, he is shattering their gender stereotypes by affirming women. Again, maybe, maybe you don't read it that way because we, we read through our cultural lens, right? You, maybe you don't believe me quite yet, but that's actually what's happening there. He's shattering their gender, gender stereotypes by, by affirming women. You see, in the first century, uh, there was a common uh, way of writing. Historians call this uh, household codes. And so philosophers would do this, politicians would do this, and Paul does this a couple of times about sort of household codes. This is the way your house should look. So marriage family, and work, because your work was often within, within your house. So this was a common way of writing. Again, philosophers, politicians, and Paul does it a couple of times as well. He does it here. He's going to go through all those categories here. It's exactly the same, except Paul completely throws it on its head. In every one of these categories, he says, yeah, but now as a Christian, it looks completely different than the way that your world does this around you. And so if we're mad at Paul, like we just had to like acknowledge for a second, they were too, right? They were really mad when they read this. Uh, just in very different ways. And so, for example, Timothy Gombas, I quoted him, I think, last week or the week before, uh, he, he describes it this way, these, these household codes. He says, Paul's instruction, therefore, is radically subversive. Where there are hierarchical relationships, Paul addresses the subordinate members first, giving them unprecedented dignity. They are full and equal part participants in the people of God. In contemporary visions of ancient society, so everybody else that was writing about these things, these members are not even addressed. They appear only as objects of control by the patriarch. But among God's new people, there is no place for control, domination, manipulation, or exploitation. Rather, mutual respect and service is to be the norm. And so in these other household codes, don't miss that. Like outside of Scripture... Women were not even addressed. Children were not addressed. Slaves were not addressed. Right? Women were never even addressed. And they would, they would say something instead. You can, you can look at different examples of these in antiquity. But they would say something like, husbands, make sure that your wives submit to you. Right? Which is pretty different, right? And so not only, not only does Paul address women, he actually addresses them first. Again, from our perspective, it's like, man, Paul, why did you start there? Like, it makes us so uncomfortable. That was, a, that was a, a statement of honor, of respect. Not only would they not even been spoken to, he, he wants the men to know first, I'm going to talk to your wives, right? Because they're so, they're so valuable in your relationships. It's absolutely subversive in the way he, he does that. He addresses them first. And he says to them, right, verse 22, I'm going to read it. Wives, submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, I know it makes us uncomfortable. Me too, okay? But before we reject what Paul says, we need to understand, again, how radical this was in their culture. Because Paul is calling wives to voluntary submission. It's not forced, it's not coerced, right? It's not a, a domineering, abusive husband. That is not biblical submission. And frankly, if you're in a relationship like that and your husband demands you submit, that is evil and you need help. Talk, talk to us, talk to one of us, talk to somebody, right? And husbands, if that describes you, it means you have no idea the story God wants to tell. Get off the stage, you are telling lies about Jesus in the way you treat your wife, and that is not okay. Because the other piece 
of this that was so subversive. There's a handful of things that are so subversive in this, this passage, the way Paul does it. But the other thing in, in the first century is that Paul's focus here, even though he starts with the wife, his focus is really not on the wife's behavior as much as on the man's behavior, right? Don't, don't miss that. He has a ton more to say to husbands about how they treat their wives than about how the women treat their husbands. So go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So again, it's subversive that he talks to women first. It's subversive that Paul spends so much time unpacking what it means for a husband to sacrifice on behalf of his wife. Even the metaphor that scholars point out is subversive, right? For the husband is the head of the wife. Again, little fingernails on a, on a chalkboard, right, for us. It makes us uncomfortable. It sounds authoritarian, demeaning. But what does Paul tell the head to do? He tells the head to die for the body. Like, think about the way he uses that metaphor, right? A brilliant scholar, Michelle Lee Barnwall, she writes, reflecting on this passage, she says, the fundamental nature of the reversal is critical. It would have struck Paul's audience not only as odd, but even more so against nature. The sacrifice of the head would be suicidal for the entire body. I mean, th- think about that. Like, if you're being attacked, right, what's the first place you're going to typically protect, right? It's, it's going to be your head. Like, it's, it's instinctual. Everything, we know how important the head is. Everything we want to do is protect the head. Without the head, the body dies. And yet Paul flips this metaphor on its head, pun intended, that the head's job now because of Jesus is not to protect itself, but to protect the body, to protect his, his wife, which, again, it doesn't make any sense. Why would the head take blows for the body, right? It doesn't make any, any sense at all, except that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's the story God wants us to tell. And back then, back then, husbands were not even expected to love their wives, Even that was subversive. And the word for love here doesn't simply imply warm romantic feelings, right? The word that's used here means a commitment to put someone else's needs and well-being ahead of your own. And Paul says, in the same way that Jesus loves us, you are to love her. So this was subversive back then. And it's subversive today. Because the story of Jesus is always subversive, right? That we have, we have a king who came to serve. That our head came to die. That our God came to love. And our marriages need to tell the same story. So that's the first thing. It's subversive. Second... Second, the story is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. 
Because he's saying there, husbands, your job is to die for your wife and to do it every day. Not to be served, but to serve. To cherish your wife. I love that word, right? Wives, do you feel cherished by your husbands? Appreciated, adored, affirmed, respected, desired, and not just for sex? Cherished. And so, husbands, in this stage production, right, you have the responsibility to play the part of Jesus. And if that makes you arrogant or self-serving or domineering in any way, you have no idea who Jesus is. You are the one who gives up heaven in order to die on a cross. Don't forget your responsibility. And wives, respond accordingly. That's, that's your responsibility in this play. You get to play the part of God's beloved, who is so cherished, so safe and protected, so desired, that it is your delight to respond gently, respectfully, lovingly to your husband. To respond accordingly. That's, that's essentially what, what submission is. It's, it's a voluntary deferral of your own rights. A yielding of your own desires. It's you supporting him as he, as he sacrifices his life for you. Submission and sacrifice. Sort of like a dance. When, it, when a couple really knows how to dance, which is not... Uh, not the Miller couple, I can tell you that much. Uh, but when, when a couple really knows how to dance, it's not about who's leading the other. Nobody cares who's in charge, right? And yet the dancers, to, to do the dance, they have to submit, right? They have to sacrifice. But who cares? There's so much delight in the dance. And sometimes I think we forget this about marriage, but marriage has been marked by sacrifice from the very beginning. I mean, even the very first marriage. Like, think about that. Even before the world fell apart, what did it take for Adam and Eve? Adam had to have his side pierced, right? To give life to his bride. And in the ultimate wedding, right, the wedding that, that all weddings actually point to, Jesus' side is pierced to give life to his bride, the church. And if we think our marriages are supposed to be any different, we're kidding ourselves. They're meant to be characterized by sacrifice. This is, this is why the covenant is so important to marriage, right? Why, why it's meant to be a, a covenant relationship for all of life. Because if you're both living this out, trying to do this together, you need a place of security and safety where you know the other person's not going to run, right? Where you're, you're committed to come back again and again. That's another way, frankly, that marriage today is subversive. It's not a voluntary thing for as long as we get our, our needs met, right? For as long as we happen to stay in love. It's meant to be forever, which means there's always a little death in marriage, isn't it? Like Leslie, Leslie Nope of Parks and Rec, right? She gets it, right? Every time a couple gets married, two single people die. Yes, yes, that's, that's true, right? And the reality is, like, if either of you, if you're married, if either of you are in this marriage primarily to get what you want, whether it's your rights or your needs or your desires, if that's why you're there, it's going to be a disaster, because it'll never be enough. You'll, 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 you'll destroy one another and the people around you. 
But if your focus is on, is on one another, and you remind yourself that, that marriage is not really about you anyway, but ultimately about him, there can be so much joy in it. I, mean, I, I realize some of you are thinking, many of you probably, like, okay, I've tried this, right? But my spouse isn't responding, or my spouse isn't sacrificing. And I, I realize that's, that's a common thing. That's very difficult. I'm really, really sorry, right? If you're stuck in a marriage that feels like you're doing all the sacrificing or all of the submitting, that is brutal. It shouldn't be that way, and I'm sorry. And I, I just want to be clear as well. It's never loving. I've said this before. It's never loving to allow another person to sin regularly against you. It's, ne- it's, not, it's not loving. And so whether you're a husband or a wife in that situation, boundaries are appropriate, right? Boundaries can be loving, are often loving. This is not, the Bible does not ask you to just continually take it. And some of you probably need counseling if you're in that situation. And sadly, others of you perhaps are in abusive marriages where not only do you keep giving, but you're forced to keep giving. That is not okay. It's not okay. And please talk to us. We want to help with that too. And, and so we know there's always, there's always difficulties with, with many of us in this, a lot of brokenness, and we want to help with that. We can't address all of those things together. But for, for many of us, for many of us, it's just about learning how to dance. And occasionally that means stepping on each other's toes, but the couples who are best at this, like those who, who understand this, who actually live this out, sacrificing and submitting, loving and respecting, they don't even really know that they're doing it, right? It's like a conscious thing. I just even think about uh, my marriage with, with Kelly. It's far from perfect, let me tell you. Uh, we have our own moments, certainly. And if I'm completely honest, anything good in our marriage is because she's such an incredible person. Those of you who know her know it's all her. Um, and yet in, in 20 years of marriage, like looking back in 20 years, like never told her to submit, uh, nor has she ever told me to sacrifice. Like, I've, I've never demanded her respect, and she's never demanded my love. But we're learning how to dance. I think we're living this out. It's clumsy. It's painful sometimes. We step on each other's toes, like all of that. But man, it can be fun as you learn. If you do so with humility, with patience, and with a realization, again, that it's not about you, right? It's not about you. We get to tell his story, God's story. Don't we all want that? It's subversive. It's sacrificial. It's good news. Even though we may not always like what God has to say for us in his word, when we understand it appropriately within its context and what he's actually trying to communicate to us, it is good news. It is life for us. And it is good. It's freeing to know marriage is not about you, right? Aren't you glad? Because the greatest things in life, we know this, like the greatest things in life are always the things that are not about you, right? It's about Jesus. The greatest love story of all time, God as our husband And that even though we run from him, we betray him, we cheat on him, we hide from him, he keeps pursuing us. 
He wants to be with us. He desires us. He, he longs to cherish us. We are God's beloved. That's come out of multiple times in Ephesians. And that, that this is how God sees us. And this is, this is good news if you're single. It's good news if you're in a bad marriage. It's even good news if you're in a great marriage. Because if you're, if you're single, what this means is that you don't need to get married. And you may not want to, and that's okay, right? Jesus never got married. That's, that's totally fine. But it's the realization that you do not need another human spouse to complete you. No human can. And if you ask another human to complete you, you're putting too much pressure on them. They're going to fail miserably anyway, right? What you need is the God who made you. And the realization regularly, even in your loneliness, no matter what that experience is like for you, you need the reminder that Jesus promises to be a spouse for you. That is, that is good news if you're single. And if you're in a bad or disappointing marriage, I'm so sorry. I've sat with too many couples to know how lonely that space can be. And I certainly don't want to make light of that for you, right? And God's word would never make light of that. It stinks to be stuck in a bad play. And you, you know, maybe, you know you're supposed to tell the story of Jesus and your, your rendition with your spouse is worse than my impression of a lion. I'm sorry. But friend, it's a play. The real thing is still to come. You're, you're still waiting. And Jesus longs to be a spouse to you even now who will never take advantage of you, never yell at you, never talk down to you, never walk out on you, never cheat on you, never betray you, never hurt you, ever. You are his beloved. And that is good news. Which is why, even if you're in a great marriage, it's still just a play. It's never going to be enough. It can never satisfy you perfectly. You cannot expect your spouse to give you what only Jesus can give you. Because even in the best marriages, I, I love my wife. I hope you know that. Those aren't just empty words that a pastor says. I, ad I adore my wife. But if she is my ultimate spouse, my ultimate hope, the place that I look for completion, I mean, the reality is there is a day coming, people, when either she is going to attend my funeral or I am going to attend hers. That's coming for all of our marriages. And what then? If that's where your hope is, if that's where your expectation for completion is, what then? I need better news than just a great marriage. And we have it. Jesus is our husband. We are his beloved bride in a covenant of marriage that will never end. And with our earthly marriages, we get to tell that story. And we get to tell it again and tell it again to our watching world. Who doesn't want to tell that story? Let's pray.
So many things about the way you've created life and the world to work are a mystery, and this is one of them. Even Paul says that. It's a mystery. And yet we long to tell your story. We long to show the world who you are, and so I pray for all of the husbands in this room that they would sacrifice, that we would sacrifice daily on behalf of our spouse. And not just in the big things. It's so easy to think, I'd take a bullet for whatever. Like to just help, to be kind, to cherish, to be gentle with our wives, to serve them sacrificially every day. And God, for the wives in this room, God, I pray that they would know how to respond with gentleness and grace, with love, supporting their husbands even as they give their lives for them. And God, I just want to pray as well for those who are single, that you would be their hope. Whether they're single and happy, which is for some, we pray that that's true for many. Or single and sad and disappointed, lonely. God, I pray that you would meet them in those places. That you'd be a spouse to them. For those, God, who are in really difficult marriages. God, I pray that you'd protect the vulnerable in those spaces. I pray that you would give places of help and joy and respite and healing. God, that you would be a spouse to those people. And God, I pray that even even in those of us who have the best marriages, Lord, I pray that we would remember that nothing compares to the husband who is waiting for us to come home who's anticipating the great marriage supper, the celebration in which we get to be with him as our spouse forever. May we never lose sight in the delight and joy that you offer to us. Even as we come to the table, we pray that that would be true for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.